Let's, let's bow our hearts in prayer together. Father and Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. Lord, we just, we just want to continue beholding you. Lord, that, that you have been reigning all this time. That Christ, as, as we're leading up to Easter, to remember that Jesus died, his body was buried, and rose again three days later, and we know that 40 days after that, he ascended into heaven, and he took his rightful seat on the throne, and he's just been there. And Lord, through all that is happening right now, as many fear that we are on the, the brink of another Cold War or another World War, as, as people don't know what's happening to the, the, the values they've held dear that just seem to be falling apart, God, that you've been on the throne. Jesus, you've been sitting on the throne through two World Wars already. And and should there be another five world wars before you return, you'll be on the throne through all of those as well. And Lord, if every crisis that the church has faced, not only in our country with, with turmoil of having to end slavery, of, of facing a civil war, of of battling the civil rights movement and the oppression that so many faced in that time and, and battling issues of oppression and injustice that are still at work in our country. But Lord, even before our country began, as, as your followers faced persecutions and plagues and wars and the settling of countries and continents and reformations, and wars over doctrine, Lord, that Jesus, you were on the throne through it all. And all the while, Jesus, you have been interceding for us. Lord, we behold you. And I pray that as we open your word, as we go to Hebrews, Lord, I, I ask that this would be this time in your word, Lord, would you move in our hearts to focus us in such a way that this would be a continuing of the beholding of the great and glorious Son of God. And it is in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Do you realize that there are people who are currently driving very new cars who already can't wait for the 2023 model to come out? That they have, like the, the closest I'll get to that new of a car driving-wise is if I happen to rent it. And they are already dreaming of the new features of the 2023 model, and maybe even the 2024 and 2025 model, how that new stitching in the seat will add 15 minutes of drive time before they suffer from tired butt. 
and it'll just make everything that much better. We, in our culture, are constantly chasing the new and improved. And we've been conditioned to do so. That the new phone with an endless battery or the best screen or the fastest processor, the TV that we will eventually be able to actually just climb inside of and join the game or the movie or that car that will drive us to our destination while we get a massage, stream Disney+, Plus, take a nap. If pedicures are your thing, it'll give you a pedicure. The in-dash coffee system will make you an espresso, all while having zero emissions, or, depending on your leanings, will have extra emissions, so you can kill the dinosaurs a second time. Imagine if next fall, when the new car ads come out, imagine that some brand decides that in their new sedan, in their 2023 sedan, they make the claim that this 2023 sedan is unimprovable. And maybe it's pretty easy for us to imagine that because it seems like that's how they, they say it every year. But imagine they literally say, this sedan is unimprovable. It is so perfect that if we changed even the radio knobs, it would not be as good as what it is. It is the perfect vehicle, and to change anything would lessen or take away from that perfection. And then in the ad... The manufacturer even goes so far as to say, we mean it so much that we will never change it. This is going to be the 2024 model and the 2025 and the 2037. That's pretty hard to imagine as a consumer. We've been conditioned to always imagine something better. It's the American way. And we have no problem thinking that something, whether a product or a system, could be flawed and need improvement. But the idea that something would be perfect and unimprovable, well, that messes with us. But I argue this morning that that's exactly what Hebrews is telling us about Jesus. That he is unimprovable. And, and a question I want you to have in your mind as we, go through the, as, as we go through reading the text here in a minute, as we go through unpacking the text and the time we have allotted, which you know probably won't be enough time for us, but as we go through this, would you just put this in your mind? Do I approach Jesus as the perfect Savior? Do I approach Him as the unimprovable priest? who is making intercession for me. So Hebrews, in building up to where we are now, he, he's coming to the point where he's telling us that the first covenant given to us it actually was, is there to point to a need for a second. It was God designed the first covenant to, to point us to the, the second covenant. It was designed to say that something else is needed, someone else is coming, and this will be replaced. And this is where it's really easy for us to deal with, but 
Let's wrap our minds around the fact that 2,000 years ago, the old covenant was upgraded to a new covenant, and it doesn't need any upgrades. Even 2,000 years later, it holds up. And as Christians, we want to say the right thing and say, well, of course it holds up. But how often do we try to add to the work of Christ? By either trying to, to work for our salvation, like, I know I'm, I'm saved by grace, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do a little more. Like, how often do we try to do that? Or, or how often do we try to find someone else to come alongside of Christ for us? That Jesus is enough, but he'd be made better if I, if I, like it, if I brought this person or this personality in to what Jesus has done for me. We try to work off our sin. We try to find figures to whom we can assign Christ-like significance. But Hebrews tells us over and over and over again that the one who finished the work on the cross, the ultimate unimprovable Savior, is Jesus. Today we see him just a little bit more through that lens of Melchizedek, that he is the ultimate and unimprovable priest. So we have a longer passage today, but we're going to read it. So I want you to read with me. Uh, it, it follow along as I read Hebrews 7. I'm starting in verse 11. It's where we left off from last week. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. In connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, one who has become a priest not on basis of legal requirements or bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made priest with an oath by the one who said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high, such a high priest, holy, innocent, 
unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We have such a high priest. And through his finished and ultimate work, Christ is our new and unimprovable high priest. And our new and unimprovable high priest He gives us a new law. There's a focus here in the beginning that's really more directed at the old law, and, and namely what the old law didn't accomplish. That is, that it never made anyone perfect. He says it twice. This doesn't make you perfect. And it actually did quite the opposite. It It pointed out our imperfection. It exposes our helplessness. It exposes the insurmountable distance between us and God. The old law was able to bring perfection, or was not able to bring perfection. And so we have a new priest who brings a new law. And ultimately, that perfection that we are chasing is realized in heaven but we are put on this path of sanctification. But out of the old law, they're pointing to the new law is this abundantly clear point over time, over the course of the Old Testament. And here it is. You cannot save yourself. And you cannot negotiate with God. It points out our need for someone else. It, 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 it points out the distance between us and God. That, that there was this tabernacle and there was this temple and there was a series of walls or curtains or gates and you could not get through them yourself. You needed a priest to go before you to get there. And Jesus is not just a new priest. He is a new priesthood. He doesn't come from the order of Aaron. He comes from the order of Melchizedek. He comes from this order. We had Melchizedek. The Levitical priest was kind of based on him. But now we have Christ, who's really based on Melchizedek. And it's saying, you're not a priest of descent. You're a priest of appointment. And then this new priest and this new law comes with a new way of relating to God and walking with God as his people. What's interesting here is the author does not go into detail really at all about what the new law is. He doesn't give out a list of the new laws. And I think that's what we want, isn't it? Like we read this and we're like, oh, there's a new priest and a new law. We're like, oh, what are the new rules? But he doesn't go into the new rules because it I think if he did, if we got like, a, like Leviticus volume 2 here, we would get consumed with that and we wouldn't be consumed with the grace and the finished work of the new priest. 
And the point here is to, point, is, is to direct us to that finished work of the priest so that we wouldn't be consumed with trying to, to impress others with our righteousness, but to point out how much I need this new priest. We so often still try to follow Jesus, though, under the old law, or worse yet, some sort of self-made law. It was not an accident that God gave the old law. It was for the purpose of exposing our limitations so that we would look for a priest that goes beyond those. And that old law, in vivid clarity, points out that we cannot get righteousness on our own. We can't get to righteousness without God's intervention in our lives. And so having this new priest and this new law, and there's a, there's a key point to what the new law is that we're about to get into, but I, I just need to ask us, what law are we trying to live under? Are we trying to live under a law that's self-made, that, that, that tries to justify ourselves before God, tries to get rid of our need for a priest of, I write my own rules, I do my own thing, God and I are cool with each other. Or do we try to come under the old law of, I'm going to exhaust myself and burn myself out spiritually trying to prove that I'm good enough. And, and the new law, the whole point of it is that you're not good enough. And that we need Jesus' righteousness. That we need his sacrifice. That we need to have our sins forgiven. And there's nothing we can do to appease the wrong we've done. And so the author does not tell us everything about the new law, but he gives us a glimpse by explaining that along with the new law comes a new hope. Verse 18 here. For on the one hand... The former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for, for the law made nothing perfect. No one followed Leviticus so well that they came out fully sanctified. It was always God working in the heart. It points out our sin. But, on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. So new law comes with a better hope through which we draw near to God. Isn't this something that we are able to set aside the condemning law that shows us over and over again what we do wrong? We're able to exchange that for a new hope through which we draw near to God. Our priest in Christ, he takes us away from this to-do-ism that we can so easily get caught up in, that the people of God got caught up in over and over again in the Old Testament. And he replaces that with draw near. Come to the Lord. Come through me, the way, the truth, and the life, to the Lord. And he, and he, he has this reminder that there's this hope for those who draw near to God. And this draw near to God is this this beckoning that comes through the book of Hebrews. And so often we think of Hebrews as Jesus is better than fill in the blank. And it is. It is about that. But this idea or these, these words, draw near to God, drawing near to God, those who draw near to God, come seven times in the book of Hebrews. 
And we'd be fools to think that the greatness of Christ and us being called to draw near to God are not completely tied together. And here's what it is. Drawing near to God is the faith-filled response to the greatness and finished work of Christ. That is, we have a cross reminding us that Jesus died for our sins. And we're reminded that Jesus isn't on the cross, but he's on the throne in heaven because he rose from the dead. That we would say, such a great Savior, such a great priest, how could I not then draw near to the Lord? And this is such a major change from the law where we had to have a priest under the law, a very few select from one of the 12 tribes became the high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices. And we needed that person to do it for us. And now we have Jesus who's done it once and for all and under the new law that our new, unimprovable priest has given us through his ultimate sacrifice of himself. The sacrificial need of our sins has been fulfilled, and we can draw near to God. We who are sinful can draw near to the glorious creator of heaven and earth, Jesus has done the work for us. See, our new and unimprovable priest has given us a new law. He's given us a new hope. But our new and unimprovable priest, he has some new credentials. He has some new credentials. It was not without an oath that these former priests, they were just born into it. But this one, Jesus, was made priest by an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn, sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. It's interesting here. Jesus was selected. He wasn't just born into it. There were a lot of priests who were just born into it. They, they were of the tribe of Levi, the high priests were distinctly of the line of Aaron in the tribe of Levi. And, the, and, and those were some pretty unique qualifications. But even with those qualifications, Israel and Judah had some bad priests over time. There were some really bad priests who just did whatever wicked kings called them to do. They led people into idolatry. They forgot the word of God. They did not follow it. They did not read it. They did not devote themselves to the law And the people, you just had whatever priest you had. It was kind of luck of the draw in one family line. We all know that not every family line produces all great people, right? We've lived enough life to know this. But God gave Jesus as a selected priest forever. And he 
the Hebraeus builds on this distinction he made earlier, that Jesus was not born of Levi. He did not meet the genetic qualifications, but he had another and better qualification, and that was the word of God, this oath of God. And this oath of God that Jesus is the high priest forever means that Jesus is this new priest. He enacts this new covenant, this new law, and it stands forever, making Jesus, I love verse 22, the guarantor of a better covenant. That it's on Jesus. That this covenant, this way of us walking with God, relating to God, this promise from God that our sins can be forgiven based on the sacrifice of Christ is guaranteed and it is forever. The former priests were many in number because they always had to be replaced. Not because it took that many people to do the work, but they just always needed replaced. For thousands of years, priests would die and priests would rise up. Priests would die and priests would rise up. But Jesus is our priest forever. He will never age out of this. We'll never go through an awkward point of time where we have a co-priest that we really don't know about. (laughs) We just have to take someone's word for it. Jesus is our priest forever. His work is permanent. It will never run out. He needs no successor. Look at verse 25. Consequently, because of this, because Jesus is the high priest forever, made so by the oath of God, the word of God, because he guarantees a better covenant that lasts forever because no other priest will come and bring in a new covenant, this is the new covenant. It always will be the new covenant. Even after 2,000 years, it's the new covenant. It'll never be outdated. Because of this, he is able to save most of the way. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save to every extent of who you are. There's no part of who you are that Jesus looks at and goes, oh, we're like 90% of the way there. We're just going to buffer for a while. I'm going to think about this last 10%. He saves all of who you are. He saves all of who you are for all time. That nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, no principality, nothing in your past, nothing in your future, no height nor depth can separate you from the love of Christ. His love for you, his salvation for you, those of you who have trusted in him, is unconditional. As Jesus says in John 10, I hold my sheep in my hand and nobody can take them out. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So think about this. This is our unimprovable priest that he saves you to the uttermost, every part of you for all time, unconditionally, and he always lives to pray for you.
What on earth else could you think that you would need? What a glorious Savior. What a glorious salvation. And I just invite you, if you're here this morning and you're just wrestling with trusting part of who you are to Christ, I invite you to just submit yourself to Christ and content yourself in Him. Quit looking for something greater. Quit thinking you need to have a say in this. Jesus is the Lord. And give Him that Lord-level control. He is the one who died for you. He saves to the uttermost. He is praying for you. Him having Lord-level control of your life has got to be the most comforting thing. And I can remember times in my life, I remember, I remember one day talking with a friend, and I, I was older than I should have been for this. I was out of college at this point. And I had a friend in ministry that said, I just, and I got to say, I, I was saved at this point, but what I'm going to say to you is going to sound like I wasn't saved at this point. I had a friend, he was a colleague in ministry in my office, and he, he said, I was, I was just praying the other day, and I said, Lord, you just have free access to my life. Do whatever you want. And in my heart, I thought, that is terrifying. I don't know if I can pray that. I was saved and in ministry, and I was struggling with that. And hear what Hebrews is saying, that Jesus saves me to the uttermost, that he's praying for me. Why would I not do that? Why would I not say, Jesus, I, ha I know I have desires for what my, my, my marriage will be, for what my career will be, for what my, my, my family will do. I have career, I have, I have all these desires for all these different relationships, for what my retirement will look like, for all of that, for, for my sexuality, for my identity, for how other people view me. I have all these desires. Why would I not look at the one who saves me to the uttermost, who lives to pray for me, and say, Jesus, you have free reign and free control to do whatever, knowing that he's going to make better decisions than me. Knowing that he has a best for me in mind that I cannot fathom. Why would I not yield that level of control to this glorious, unimprovable priest? And sure, he may take you someplace that requires a passport and a yellow fever vaccine. And worse yet, he may take you across the street or to your own family reunion with a task of the gospel. But isn't he good enough to trust in that? Because he has new credentials. He is not priest by happenstance. He is priest by the very design and oath and word of God. And he has a new ministry. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest who saves us to the uttermost, who gives us hope to draw near to God, who prays for us. Fitting that we should have such a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Think about this. It, go, it goes on to say Jesus had no need to offer daily sacrifices for his own sin. Every priest that went in is going in first for himself. Like, I got to take care of me. I got to put on my own oxygen mask so then I can help all these horrible people called Israelites. Jesus doesn't need to care for himself. He exists to care for you. 
He's not going in to offer sacrifices for his own sin. He went in to offer himself as a sacrifice for your sin. And there's a big difference there. He doesn't go in to offer sacrifices for his own sin, saying, oh God, would you make me holy? He goes in and says, God, I am holy, so I lay myself down for all of them. It's a different level of love. There were good priests who loved the people, who offered sacrifices for their own sin and then sacrifices for the people. And Jesus loved so much that even though he had no need for a sacrifice for himself, he laid himself down to offer sacrifices or sacrifice for us that once and for all he offered up himself. Not only do we have no need for any other priest than Jesus, we no longer have a need for any other sacrifice. So we look back. I sinned. The cross covers it. I sinned. The cross covers it. I sinned. The cross covers it. He is the unimprovable priest. We, we started by talking about how cars get upgraded every year. Do you ever feel like tragedies and catastrophe gets upgraded every year too. I remember, I remember a whole bunch of fools a couple of years ago going, 2020's my year. Morons. It was nobody's year. And here we are two years later. And the, the catastrophes just keep mounting. Natural disasters continue. Wars pop up. Right now, we're, we're watching a war, hoping we don't get pulled into something. We lose loved ones, and there's, and there's all these, these figures that we've always looked up to. And, it, and some of you are going to make fun of me for this, but there's celebrity deaths. And here's where I think the celebrity deaths are a big deal. Is we only see a fictionalized, strong version of people over and over and over again. And it's someone that maybe we looked up to for, from afar because we either admired their talent or we admired them when they were out of the spotlight. And they're gone. And it's this ongoing reminder that nobody gets off this planet without their body getting buried. There's one way out of this. Well, there's two when Christ returns. But aside from that, we're all going to die. And they're annual and constant reminders of our own mortality. The growing wars, natural disasters. We're in another election year, which means a bunch of people are going to throw a ton of money and a ton of emotional investment into someone who's going to fail them. There's ongoing daily stresses of finances and inflation, and then on top of that, our own sin just never seems to go away. And it feels like every year we turn the calendar with a whole bunch of hope, and every year the sense of our mortality, the, the sense of our sin, the, the, the sense that the world is falling apart just seems to get up, up another notch. And no matter what upgrade your worries have, no matter what upgrade the tragedies of the world have, no matter what upgrades there are, they will never depose our priest and king. 
and they will never be mightier than what our priest has offered. We don't need a new Savior when new trends come around. We can relax because Jesus is on the throne. His sacrifice has been offered. It will stand for all time, and he's praying for us. So whatever the rest of the 2022 model of anxiety and fear and sin have to offer, whatever the 2023 model has to offer, we know that the original model of the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek stands forever, and he is unimprovable, and he saves us to the uttermost. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have such a high priest who offers himself for us, who offered himself for us once and for all and lives to make intercession for us, who can save us to the uttermost so that one day we will shed this earthly poor excuse for a body and receive a resurrected body that's changed by the same power through which Christ is able to subject all things to himself. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself. We thank you, Jesus, that you finished it. That you finished our need to have another imperfect person go on behalf of us. That you finished our need for more and more sacrifices so that we can be saved to the uttermost. You are so good. We thank you.